This is Dr. Canadiana, a podcast about Canadian theatre history. I'm your host, Ashley Williamson. Episode 11, Adapting the Canon. This week's topic is adaptation. Quite broadly, the definition of adaptation is putting familiar materials to new uses in a new context. This context is a Canadian one. What role does adaptation of dramatic text from the larger Western canon play in the Canadian theatre canon? In this episode, I will highlight four adaptations of classical dramatic works by Canadian playwrights. And it happens that they're all women, but this was unintentional. It might be worth thinking why women choose to adapt classical works. To begin with, I would like to say that adaptation is not new, and some of the plays whose adaptations I discuss are themselves adaptations. Shakespeare, my friends, was big on adaptations. Professor James McKinnon discusses this in his article, Creative Copying, The Pedagogy of Adaptation, in which he advocates teaching adaptation as a creative skill in theatre and drama classrooms. Quote, Examine how the Hamlet story has been adapted, by Shakespeare and others, tracing its trajectory from an ancient Viking saga to a Jacobian revenge tragedy to contemporary versions based on absurdism, Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and the carnivalesque parody, Michael O'Brien's Mad Boy Chronicle. End quote. I would like to add to this The Lion King. Yeah, that's also Hamlet. The story, a king killed by his usurping brother and a prince contemplating vengeance, is not the point. The point is how the tale is being told. Whose perspective? The sons? That's Hamlet. Some side characters who were accidentally pulled into the drama? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Or fodder for a song? The Lion King. Each playwright is choosing to tell the story in a different way, from a different perspective, to achieve a different end. Okay, adaptation number one, The Birds. The canonical text is an ancient Greek comedy written by Aristophanes in 414 BCE. The summary from the ancient literature website says, quote, the story follows a middle-aged Athenian who persuades the world's birds to create a new city in the sky, thereby gaining control over all communication between men and the gods and is himself eventually, miraculously, transformed into a bird-like god figure himself and replaces Zeus as the preeminent power in the cosmos." The play is considered a reaction to the Athenians losing a war to Sicily the year before, I think. The idea is the audience will sympathize with an ordinary man as he looks for utopia. The adaptation is by Métis playwright Yvette Nolan, Her 2018 version is a reflection on history of colonization and a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Report. The publisher's summary of the play reads, quote, two men flee the modern world, arriving in the fabled land of the birds seeking freedom and a better way of life. But the men are unable to resist remaking this utopian paradise in their own image without regard for the inhabitants who already occupy the land. In this playful modern retelling, The Birds reflects on pressing contemporary Indigenous questions about truth and reconciliation. End quote. So Noland has used a classical Greek text whose goal was to use comedy to help ordinary audience members put himself in the role of men looking for utopia, 
but who ultimately succumb to past patterns and failures to create a play that will put Canadian audiences in the position of characters fleeing a Canada constructed using colonialism toward a utopian construction based on Indigenous traditions, but falling under the spell of old patterns and past learning. The lesson of the original play stands that looking for a utopia is never as clear a solution as one wants it to be. But the definition of what utopia is shifts from the Greek to the Indigenous Canadian context. The second example is also an Indigenous Canadian adaptation of a Western canonical classic. In 2008, First Nations playwright Tara Began adapted August Strindberg's Miss Julie. Strindberg's 1888 play explores the tension between an upper-class woman and two of her servants in Sweden as they prepare for the Midsummer Festival. Miss Julie is deeply attracted to a servant named Jean, who seems worldly, well-read, and well-traveled, whereas she feels trapped in her privileged bubble. In his preface to the play, Stringberg writes that the people in the play are, quote, modern characters living in an age of transition, more vacillating and disintegrating than their predecessors, a mixture of the old and the new, end quote. His play in examining a society on the cusp of a social shift is also considered a canonical gem in the naturalistic style. The description of Bagan's play by Kick Theatre, the home of the 2008 production reads, quote, brutal, hilarious, sexy, and specifically Canadian, Miss Julie Schema is an adaptation of August Strindberg's 1888 play, Miss Julie. Miss Julie Shima centers on the Canadian-born daughter of English immigrants to the British Columbia interior in 1929. Her servants, Johnny and Christy Ann, are from the Shishwap and Thompson River Salish nations, and both have been through the residential school system. The gulf between the upper-class Miss Julie and her two Aboriginal servants becomes one of race and lays bare the uncomfortable distance between the people with power and those without. End quote. In this case, the topics of class, economics, and social hierarchy remain, but the setting, location, racial, and ethnic identities of the characters render the play's criticism of social and political systems very Canadian. Kim Solka, in her short article, One Dead White Guy at a Time, points out that Bacon's update of the story happens even before the play starts, with the addition of she ma to the title. The word, simplified, means something like honky or whitey in the indigenous language of the area. As Solga explains, quote, the term refers to the way in which the First Nation servants on the interior British Columbia estate where this Miss Julie lives probably regard her. It's a rude word, sure, but it's also an act of resistance. Bagan's title refuses, before any curtain has gone up, to grant the white woman at the heart of this play any special privileges. Instead, it aims to stage the complexities, the challenges and the pleasures and the mundanities of the otherwise invisible Indians who center this adaptation and give it political force, end quote. In Bacon's adaptation, Julie is no longer the subject of her own play. The story in Bacon's hands tilts away from the English, the colonizer and the mistress of the house that thematically stand in for Canada and toward the indigenous colonized servants.
When we come back, we will talk about Canadians adapting Shakespeare. Mabel Box is our sponsor again, a body care box with a sweet twist. Once a month, receive a box of relaxing bath products made with real maple syrup. One of the items this month is the Maple Sugar Bath Bomb. Smooth your skin in a warm bath and get out smelling like a warm, cozy waffle. Maple Box, MPL BX, Sugar Shack and Relax. Promo code Massey Report. Again. Janet Sears is a black woman and Canadian playwright. She was born in England but moved with her family to Saskatchewan when she was 15. In 1988, she adapted Shakespeare's Othello into the Dora Maver Moore Award, Chalmers Award, and Governor General Award-winning Harlem Duet. Shakespeare wrote Othello in 1603, and the Folger Shakespeare Museum's summary of it reads as follows, quote, Shakespeare creates a powerful drama from a marriage between the exotic Moor Othello and the Venetian lady Desdemona that begins with elopement and mutual devotion and ends with jealous rage and death. Shakespeare builds many differences into his hero and heroine, including race, age, and cultural background. Yet most readers and audiences believe the couple's strong love would overcome these differences were it not for Iago, who sets out to destroy Othello. Iago's false insinuations about Desdemona's infidelity draw Othello into his schemes, and Desdemona is subjected to Othello's horrifying verbal and physical assaults. End quote. Sure, you could summarize the play like that. I wouldn't have used the word exotic. The Tarragon Theatre summary of Sears' play says, quote, The story of Othello moves to Harlem, where a college professor leaves his grad student wife for a white colleague. The stinging abandonment leads to profound questions about love, loss, loyalty, and race, played out over two centuries in a wide range of settings, end quote. So how does one thing become another? Well, in his article, Creative Copying, James McKinnon says this about the adaptation, quote, Janet Sears' Harlem duet adapts Othello by multiplying the protagonist and dislocating him in time and space so that we see him living in three different epochs of African-American history. Among other things, this shows us not that the tragedy of Othello is a unique disruption of the normal course of events, as Shakespeare's version suggests, but precisely that from an African-American perspective, the traumatic experience is the normal course of events, repeated over and over again. In addition, Sears invents a new character, Billy, the black wife Othello abandons, to show how the tragedy is experienced by the black community that Othello leaves rather than the white one that excludes him." End quote. This adaptation then is not only positioning the source material in a new era, updating characters, occupations, and adding all new characters, but commenting on the very nature of the tragedy that Shakespeare lays out. The events of the, of the play are not a variation on the norm, but rather to a black man, they are the norm. And now, good night, Desdemona, good morning, Juliet, our final adaptation. We have encountered this playwright before, Anne-Marie MacDonald. I talk about her in episode four, Collective Creation. 
specifically her work as a member of Nightwood Theatre and one of the women who created This Is For You, Anna. Her first solo authored play, Good Night Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet, premiered at Nightwood Theatre and was honored with the Chalmers Award, the Governor General's Award, and the Canadian Authors Association Award. It is also worth noting, as her personal website does, that Anne-Marie came of age during second wave feminism and post-Stonewall LGBT liberation struggles, and both reaped the benefit of and contributed to the energy that fueled both these movements." MacDonald's personal, professional, and artistic identity has always been queer feminist. I would like to interrupt here to note, I think Anne-Marie MacDonald is smart, talented, and incredibly valuable to the Canadian theater, drama, and literature canon, but she does muddle a critical point in her writing about academia. I mean, perhaps she's writing from an earlier historical position, but... An assistant professor is an early career rank. It does not mean someone who assists a professor, but is not herself a professor. And an assistant professor rank would not be given to someone without a completed PhD, or at least it would very rarely. Constant Leadbelly is likely a doctoral candidate working as a sessional instructor. This, in fact, would make her position in the department even more precarious than being a pre-tenured assistant professor. Constance would be paid course by course, or perhaps term to term, and have no guarantee that her job was safe. The predatory relationship with Professor Knight would be even more dangerous to her job and personal security. As someone who is keenly aware of the internal academic hierarchy and indeed deeply affected by it, I need to make this clear. Okay, back to adaptation. What kind of adaptation is happening in this play? I think it is reframing old works with contemporary ideas. Redressing some of the out-of-date ideas, character, or plot points while simultaneously critiquing social and political problems. MacDonald uses the women of Othello and Romeo and Juliet to interrogate women's shifting role in late 1980s Canadian society. The frame is academia. She uses the English professor as a construct to introduce both the characters and the plays and also the social issue, feminism in late 20th century Canada. Constance Leadbelly is both an expert on Shakespeare, also an undermined female academic. Lauren Potter summarized the play in her article, Shakespeare's Sisters, this way, quote, in this play, Constance Leadbelly, a struggling assistant professor at Queen's University, is convinced that the sources for two of Shakespeare's most famous tragedies, Othello and Romeo and Juliet, were actually comedies, and that Desdemona and Juliet, misunderstood and underappreciated by contemporary critics, were originally comic heroines. MacDonald constructs the frame story so that the timid, insecure Constance literally falls into the world of these plays and interacts with the characters, changing the outcome of the tragedies in the process. As a contemporary woman and scholar, she liberates the two heroines from their victim status and wimpish Renaissance portrayals. End quote. What kind of adaptation is this? Can we see this as an adaptation as we've been looking at the other examples? Or is this kind of a remix? Is MacDonald sampling Shakespeare to make her own thing? She uses dialogue from, and indeed stages complete scenes from both plays within her frame story. But then when she falls down the waste paper basket wormhole, 
Is that when the adaptation happens? Over the course of the play, we see Constance enter various times and places within the play worlds of Othello and Romeo and Juliet. She affects various outcomes and characters. She worries she has interfered too much. Her modern ideas, feminism, female autonomy, belief in the Gustav Manifesto have an effect on the characters and in the plays. And the world of the plays have an effect on her. I would argue that this is less an adaptation of Othello and Romeo and Juliet and more of a feminist reassessment of women in Shakespeare as a whole. Constance's dissertation theory that plays are meant to be comedies and that Desdemona and Juliet have been misunderstood for centuries seem to support this, yes? These four examples are not the only four examples of classical canon being adapted by Canadian playwrights. Sometimes the adaptations have a specifically Canadian purpose, like Nolan's The Birds and Bagan's Miss Julie, such as This is Light by Catherine Banks, an adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's Enemy of the People, which is set in Nova Scotia's Annapolis Valley and was first produced by Two Planks in a Passion Theatre Company. Or like Harlem Duet and Goodnight Desdemona, adaptations that are less about positioning the play worlds in a Canadian context, but shifting the original play's lens. Portia's Julius Caesar by Caitlin Rorden, which tells the story of the women in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, does just that. There's an anthology called Shakespeare is Mine, published by Playwrights Canada Press. The publisher's note says the plays are, quote, claiming the right to the language of Shakespeare and the power that it represents in our culture. This collection of Anglophone Canadian adaptation manages to talk back to that authority in some surprising ways. For an, an adaptation of Hamlet that draws from the play's Viking origins to a retelling of Othello in modern-day Harlem, the plays published here all serve as examples of different ways in which Canadian playwrights have addressed the strange doubleness and rejecting, citing, and rewriting, declaring Shakespeare as their own, end quote. It includes Harlem Duet and also Shakespeare's Will by Vern Thiessen, which tells the story of Anne Hathaway, Shakespeare's wife. Death of a Chief, based on Julius Caesar by Yvette Nolan and Kennedy C. McKinnon. And Mad Boy Chronicles, based on Hamlet by Michael O'Brien, that James McKinnon mentioned in his article about teaching adaptation. Next week will be episode 12 of Dr. Canadiana and I will use it to review and reflect the last 12 weeks of our learning. Until next time, eh?